So we're continuing on from last week uh, when Rob Dingman taught us from 2 Corinthians 8. He did such a good job, I kind of wanted to say, just listen to that again, and you know, it's, it's good enough, you know, just such a great word last week, uh, specifically about seeing Jesus' work for us as the motivation to, to give, his, his generosity towards us. Well, we're continuing with that same theme, that same uh, idea that Paul is wanting the Corinthian church to be ready to, to give the promised monies they had given, or they, had, they were going to set aside to give to believers in Jerusalem. Do you remember we talked about that in Jerusalem there had been a famine, uh, the people in Jerusalem, the believers in Jerusalem were quite poor to begin with because many of them... Uh, when they had gotten saved way back at Pentecost and their families had kind of gathered there. Uh, they expected Jesus to come back any minute, but he didn't, of course. And so they stayed there. They had sold all they had, and they stayed there. And now they were broke most of the time. And so what would happen is that the, the rest of the churches had great compassion uh, on these guys, and they were taking a collection and sending it to Jerusalem to make sure these guys had what they needed. That's the context of 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Now, because of that, you might think, okay, here we go. Here's another message about money. But actually, this message is not so much about money as it is about giving. And giving isn't just about money. Giving has to do with us letting go of our resources for the benefit of others. And that's not just your, your treasure. That's also your talent. It's also your time. In fact, let's be honest, sometimes our time is worth more than money. The reality is, is God calls us to be givers, as Rob pointed out last week, because he's a giver. He's a generous giver. In fact, the title of this message is The Generous Giver, and I'll give you a a hint. It's not you. It's Jesus. He's a generous giver. And so looking at this, looking at this very practical exhortation from Paul to this church in Corinth, I want to basically, I guess, give us three things that should characterize how we give. And I guess we should start off by just being honest. Giving isn't an option for us as Jesus followers. If we're going to follow Jesus, God calls us to give. Jesus called people to follow him, to be like him. That means if he's generous, because we're supposed to be generous. So giving isn't an option. But we need to know what what should our giving be characterized by? What what should it look like? How should it work? And so that's what we're going to look at today. So looking again, verse 1, chapter 9. Paul says, concerning this, ministering to the saints. Now, Paul's, as we just mentioned, Paul's clear that this offering being taken up is going to benefit other believers. That that what they're doing here is they're going to collect this, in this case, this money, and they're going to take it back to Jerusalem, and they're going to buy what's needed for those believers in Jerusalem. And it's important for us to recognize this because the first thing that should characterize our giving is this. Giving should prioritize God's people. There should be something about how we give that shows that our priority of relationships is God first and then his people after that. Now, this is important because let me give you some verses about this, okay? Just so you know that I'm not making this up, all right? Jesus said this the night before he died, wanting to give his 12 disciples some clear instructions about what was what were his priorities? What does he say? You know these verses. The new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
Now, Jesus didn't just say, I want you to love. He said specifically, I want you to love each other. He didn't say, I want you to be loving people. He says, I want you to have loving relationships. That's why the, the phrase one another is so important. This is why we have a whole banner that you saw when you walked in the door of some of the 31 one another commands in the New Testament. Because one another isn't just about, I'm going to act a certain way. That's how we think in the West, individually. The one another commands have to do with our commitment to each other, to one another. And so Jesus is saying that it's not just about you loving the way I loved, it's about you being committed to one another. You as my followers have a special commitment to each other. That's the priority. In fact, look at the way Paul says it right in Galatians chapter 6. Paul says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, but notice, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So what's our priority? Very clear, according to Galatians 6, our priority has to be the household of faith, God's people. Why? In fact, why this next command that we see in 1 Timothy 5, it's actually in the context of 1 Timothy 5, Paul's talking about uh, dealing with aging parents, widows, you might say. So as, as your mom's getting older, uh, what should be the responsibility? Should it be the church that takes care of the widows collectively? And the exhortation of Paul says, well, listen, if you should first try to take care of your own parents first. That's kind of the priority that, that Paul leads there. But notice the strong words he uses. Paul says, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow. Think about that for a second. There's something about us being responsible, us being giving, sacrificially giving to those in our house that communicates the faith so that if we refuse to do that, we're actually denying the faith and are worse than an unbeliever. You know why? Because an unbeliever just doesn't believe. Therefore, their morals, their, their standards aren't going to be conformed to Christ. But a believer says his life is conformed to Christ, but he doesn't fall that way if he's it's in this category. It's that hypocrisy that stumbles people. So this idea of being committed to the household of faith, this idea of being, having relationships that are prioritized is hugely important in Scripture. This is one of the reasons why we prioritize our giving as a church collectively. That we, we tend to focus on, first and foremost, ministries that preach the gospel, actually share the gospel with people. They're clear and solid on, on what the gospel is, who Jesus is, how people are saved. But also with that, demonstrate the gospel by their actions. That's our first priority of ministries that we support financially. Then after that comes ministries that maybe demonstrate the gospel and are solid gospel people, but maybe their first priority isn't preaching the gospel. And then on down from there. So that our, our money is invested first in what's going to affect God's people first, what's going to expand the kingdom, and also what's going to benefit those that are already in the kingdom. That's where we put our money. That's what we invest in. Why? Because God seems to lay this out as the priority. This is important. It's really important because I think sometimes we get the idea of, of charity in our mind, the idea of giving in our mind, and we think, you know, it's just really, what's really important is just that I give. I, I just simply need to be like Jesus. That's not wrong, but it's more than that. 
It's being like Jesus, not in that you just do good things or that you give in a generic sense. It has to do with your commitment, and it has a lot more to do than just money. We've had, uh, many of you guys know, we've had a, a bit of a rough emotional week this week. We've had people in the church going through some difficult times, which probably is the way it is every week, and just not everybody always knows it. But there's a reality that when people are going through those tough times, it really does test us, doesn't it? It it shows us what are we made of, okay? This person's suffering in a way that maybe you really understand, and so your heart goes out to them, and so you're committed to do them because you feel the connection. But maybe they're suffering in a way you don't understand, and so you're maybe tempted not to be so committed to them. Or maybe you just don't know what to do, and so you just think, oh, I'm not going to do anything because I don't know what to do. And yet God is calling us to a, a, a generosity in our lives, not just again with our pocketbooks, but with our lives, with our time and our talent, to where we would think, okay, I'm committed to these people. And Paul is calling the Corinthians, he's saying, listen, you had that zeal, you showed that zeal. In fact, these guys were so the Corinthians, with all their problems, were so committed to other believers that when they heard of the problem, they said, let's do it. Let's do it now. And Paul said, well, wait, wait, wait. There's, we want to get organized here, but that's great. In fact, their zeal brought such a reputation that the Macedonians thought, man, if, if the Corinthians were like that, we want to be like that. And it stirred up these people to give in the same way. Now, Paul gives in, uh, specific instructions here in verse 3 through 5 where he says, listen, I'm sending someone ahead. Notice he says in verse 3, that you may be ready. He says again in verse 5, prepare your generous gift beforehand, uh, which you have previously promised, that it may be ready. Notice, as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Now, if we're going to prioritize our giving towards God's people, guess what? It takes preparation. This is what Paul's doing. Paul's purposely wanting the Corinthians to know, I'm not trying to put pressure on you to give money. I want you to be prepared to do what you've already said you want to do. I want you to be prepared, not pressurized. And here's the the reality. Generosity takes preparation. Whether it's generosity of time or talent or money, you have to plan for it. To say yes to one thing, you have to say no to something else. And that takes planning. That's the way it works. I, I mean, is, is, this, is this like new news to anybody? Is this like anybody ever not heard this before? It's common sense, isn't it? Anything that we prioritize, our job, our family, our, our, our schooling, whatever it is, we say no to things because that thing is a priority. And yet the thing is, when it comes to following Jesus, we kind of do it with whatever we have left over. And that's not what God calls us to. This is what God's wanting to to, to say to us, I believe. This is what Paul was wanting to get across to the the Corinthians. He's saying, listen, I love the fact that you're a zealous, but what's the plan? (laughs) Are you you organizing this? Are Are you ready for this? Have you planned for this? A couple things on this line of preparation. Paul had told the Corinthians before when when he was talking about another offering. He said, now concerning the collection for the saints, he says, as I've given order to the other churches in Galatia, so you must also do. 
On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there may be no collections when I come. So Paul gives very specific instructions, okay? And I notice what, what he says about this. He says, okay, I want each of you to lay something aside. Think about what it is you're going to give. In this case, again, it was talking about money, but it could be time or talent. What are you going to give? Lay it aside. Hedge it out. That is for this. Budget it. Notice he also says, uh, storing up as he may prosper, which means it's going to be proportionate, which means the amount isn't the issue, is it? You know, God never curses anybody for not having enough, nor for having too much. He only judges us by what we do with what we have, time, talent, and treasure. But he says, do this so that when I come, it's not a bunch of pressure. You're prepared. Again, the point is being prepared. This is why the proverb says this, be diligent to the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. He's not, now you might be thinking, I don't have flocks or herds. Yes, you do. He's talking about money. Just in case you didn't know, all right? He says, for riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. In other words, what do you possess how many hours do you have each day? 24. What's your income? What's your, what are your responsibilities? What are you good at? What do you enjoy? How do you like to serve? Know what those things are. Be diligent to know what those things are. So that you can say, all right, God, what do you want me to do with these things? Can we be honest? Isn't this probably most of our problems? If I can confess my sin, my sin is not that I don't want to give more. I don't know what I can give sometimes. I, I have a tendency to overbook. My wife is always on my case about overbooking. I'm always thinking I can do one more thing, cramming my time with as much things as possible. You know what happens? I end up just doing things not very well. We, uh, as you guys know, are missionaries. So um, most of our income comes from the United States. And that goes like this. It fluctuates. Because it fluctuates what happens sometimes, it takes a lot of work to keep it organized. And I'll confess, I don't always have it organized. You know what that means? I worry a lot. <laughs> and then I worry because I'm not organized enough, then I have to go back, and then I finally get the time to get organized, and I realize, oh, okay, we're, we're okay. But I'm freaked out, and I'm paranoid, and it's not a joy to always give. Why? Because I'm not organized enough. I don't know the state of my flocks. How many of you guys know how much money you spent on eating out last month? <laughs> you guys, yeah, I do. I do. Well, that's the point. The point is not you shouldn't ever eat out. The point is, do you know how much you spend on rent and groceries? Do you know how much time you spend on Facebook or watching television or reading or whatever you're doing? One of the things that we have most of our interns do is, is uh, one of the first things we have them do usually is I give them a timesheet where uh, uh, 24 hours in a day are broken up in 15-minute increments. And we say, okay, we want you to fill one of these out every day for a week. I haven't done it with Ollie because he's, he's a time guru. So. But uh, that's what we tend to do because we want people to think, do you know where you're spending your time? The point is this. Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, the Holy Spirit would say to us, listen, if we're going to prioritize giving to God's people, investing in the kingdom of God, guess what? You've got to know what you have. It's got to be there. Now, he says in verse 6, but I say this, he who sows sparingly 
will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Notice he says, so let each one, therefore, because reaping and sowing is a reality, he says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, this is important because this whole idea of reaping and sowing sometimes can be ominous. Oh, I'm going to reap what I sow. We're so afraid of all the bad stuff we sow. I don't know what's that going to mean. Well, we should be afraid of that, but... This is also a great positive. This is, this is what, what scriptures say. Check this out. Again, Galatians chapter 6. What does Paul say? Paul says, And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not, if we don't lose heart. Don't go weary while doing. You're going to reap what you sow. Now, talking about this in the idea of generosity. We've mentioned already the first kind of thing that should characterize is giving should be prioritizing God's people. Okay, giving should prioritize God's people. Here's the second thing. Giving should be by God's grace. Paul here is telling the Corinthians, listen, I want you to be prepared because I don't want this to be a big labor. I don't want to pound on you for finances. This is why, unless it comes up in the text, we don't talk about money. This is why we don't pass a plate. It's not because the church doesn't need money or because we don't think giving's important. It's because we want you to be prepared, not us going, we need more money. Hello, more money. Five minutes in church every week for more money. We don't want to do that. We want you to be prepared to say, God, what would you have me do? And give as you feel led. This is also why we will ask people to help serve, and we will sort of say, okay, if you're going to serve in kids' ministry, if you, if you guys filled out the application, you know it says things like, it should take about this much time to prepare, and you should expect to work this much time on a Sunday. Why? We want you to count the cost. We want you to be prepared. Because we don't want it to be a grudge. The Holy Spirit doesn't want us to be a grudge. He wants it to be about grace. It, he wants us to realize we're going to reap what we sow. If we invest in God's kingdom... God's kingdom's going to benefit, and we're going to benefit. Now, please don't misunderstand me. If you think I'm sounding like the guys on the God channel, you know I don't like those guys, so I'm going to make sure I distance myself and be really clear. I am not saying, if you give $100, you're going to get 1000 back. I'm not saying that. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, if we want to see fruit for the kingdom, well, let's plant. Let's scatter seed. I mean, think about this. If you invited one person to church every week, 52 people a year, is there a good chance that one person's going to say yes and come with you? I'm not necessarily saying you've got to do that. I'm just saying it would be a good chance. If you invited one person a year, is there a better chance someone would come? No. We reap what we sow. It's just common sense. God wants us to be cheerful givers because His grace motivates us to anticipate a harvest. God's going to increase. He's going to do something with what we're given. He's actually going to use our time and our talent and our treasure to bless people. We expect that. i got to tell you, if, if that wasn't the case, I would never have moved to England. Because we sold our house, we sold everything we owned, we moved here. And we had to believe, all right, God, this has got to be worth it. Now, I'll confess, sometimes it didn't feel like it's been worth it. 
But every time you see someone take a step towards the Lord, every time someone else, someone new, receives Christ as Savior, or, or a person understands their salvation and gets baptized, or a, you see a, a broken relationship healed, you think, man, well, that investment was completely worth it. And I have to believe if I keep investing, you're going to still do stuff. This is how God wants us to give. You expect Him to do stuff, not because we're earning something or because it's a magical formula, but because God is gracious. In fact, notice what He says in verse 8. He says, And God is able to make all grace towards you abound, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have abundance for every good work. And then he, notice He quotes here Psalm 112, verse 9. He says, he has, he has, speaking of God, God has dispersed abroad. God has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. See, not only does His grace motivate us to anticipate a harvest, but His grace enables us to be continuously and increasingly generous. This is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I know that you're giving because of the work of God's grace in your life. And I know that God can increase that gift and say, look, you can do, God can do even more. You can have more of a generous heart. Again, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you're going to spend more hours volunteering or you're going to give more money per year. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having more joy and more fruits out of what you give. I'm talking about recognizing that God can motivate you to keep going when you don't want to go any longer. This is why I think Jesus said what he said in Luke chapter 6. Jesus says, give, and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. All right, God, here's what I have. I, I, I've looked at my time. I can do this much. I can make this much commitment to, to know God's people. And I think you want me to use this time to, to, to get to know those people better and to pray for that person and to be involved in this ministry. And God, I have this much money and I'm paying my bills and I'm paying off debts and I'm doing this and I have this much money. I'm going to give this to that ministry and I'm going to give this to the church. And all right, God, this is what I have. I'm going to do this. And, and what, what Paul is saying, he's saying, look, as you do that, guess what? God's able to bless you. He's able to increase your ability to do that. One of the things that uh, all the guys have said who uh, come into leadership here at Servants Church, they say, man, as soon as we became deacon candidates, Sunday mornings felt like work. Now, some of you guys aren't deacon candidates, you're all Sunday mornings already do feel like work. <laughs> But it, what it was is not so much they were, weren't serving before they became deacon candidates, but when they realized they were feeling the weight of the ministry, they're going, man, this is really tough. This is hard. This, this is a lot of work. I'm like, yeah, tell me about it. It is tough. But the thing is, God is, has given these guys the ability to do it. He can increase them and bless them and they have to trust Him for it. God, it's Your grace that enables us to keep doing what we feel like we can't do anymore, to keep giving what we feel like we can't give anymore. It's Your grace that gives us the ability. How many moms know that feeling, I can't give anymore? I can't change another nappy, I can't wipe another nose, I can't wash another dish, 
I can't handle working part-time and coming home and having to deal with mess. I can't do it anymore. And that you cry out to God and God gives you what you need to keep going. That's what Paul's talking about. God's able to give you what you need. This is why he calls us to give. He says, I want you to give because as you give, guess what? Then you have to say, all right, God, I've given that away. Oh, what am I going to do now? I'm going to have to trust God. I'm going to have to trust God. He's going to have to give me what I need. I want you to think about this. The next time you are weighing up, do I take that extra week of holiday and just chill out or go to a nice place? Or do I go serve at a mission somewhere? You know that mission is going to be exhausting. But do you believe God is able to give you the grace that you need to do what he's called you to do? Giving has to be by grace. We're trusting God for the grace to give. We're trusting God for the grace to give and give some more. But also, speaking of God's grace, look at verse 10. Paul says, Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply, multiply the seed uh, you have sown and increased the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, in other words, God's blessed you and this is why you're able to be generous, uh, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Now, notice that, that, that phrase, supply and multiply. Notice he talks about sowing and increasing the fruits of your righteousness. Do you guys remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000 in the Gospels? It's in Matthew 14, I think it's in Mark 4, I think. The feeding of the 5,000 uh, 5, when uh, Jesus is ministering to this great multitude, 5,000 men plus women and children, and it's been several days. They hadn't, the people there hadn't eaten much. And so what happens? You guys know the story. The disciples say, Lord, send them away. They got to go get some food. And Jesus says, no, I want you to give them something to eat. And the disciples are like, oh, man. He's been in the sun too long. And they say, Lord, all we have, you know, are these five loaves and two fishes. One of the gospels says it was a small boy's lunch, basically. That's all we have, five loaves and two fishes. Jesus will bring it here. And they give Jesus all they have, and what does Jesus do? He multiplies it and feeds thousands upon thousands. Guess what? That is normal ministry. I marvel at how God takes the most feeble things that I have to offer and multiplies them. It blows me away. In time, talent, and treasure. It blows me away. If I look at everything that I need to do in a week, on my best weeks when I'm the most organized, I think there's no way I'm going to get this all done. And somehow, it gets all done. I don't understand it. I'm busy every week, but there's some weeks I think there's no way this is going to get done. There's no way. And somehow, when I say, God, all right, here it is. My time is yours. You can have all this is yours. What do you want to do? God multiplies it. He makes me... a industrious in ways that I couldn't ever produce in my own. This is what happens when we say, okay, God, I'm going to trust in your grace. Remember, guys, grace is not just unmerited favor. It's divine enabling. It's God not just giving you what you don't deserve, but doing for you what you can't do for yourself. It's God giving you what you need. Giving should be that way. It should be grace. This is why, listen... God often will call you to serve in a way that you go, that's beyond my comfort zone. Exactly. 
because he doesn't want you to do it in your strength. He wants you to trust in his grace to do it. So that's the second thing. Giving should be by grace. Quickly, last thing. Giving should be done for God's glory. Look at verse 12. Paul says, for the administration of the service, in other words, when we collect the money and we give it out, it not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many uh, thanksgivings to God. In other words, hey, by you giving generously, Corinthians, here's what's going to happen. People's needs are going to be met. Yeah, the practical needs are met, but you know what else? The people whose needs are met, they're going to give glory to God. They're going to say, thank you, God, for meeting our needs. In other words, Paul's wanting them to give in such a way that when the money is given, when the supply is given, people recognize God did this. Yeah, he used people, but God did this. This is why in most of, the, of our sister churches, Calvary Chapels, um, you're never going to see a plaque that says, dedicated to Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, who donated this pew or whatever the case might be. You, you never, never see that. Pastor Chuck, who started the movement, was really clear. He said, listen, we want God to get the glory for what happens here, not man. So they never did that. They would, people would say, we'd like to, you know, grandma passed away and, and she left some money and we want to give it to the church, but what we'd like is a big fountain built and could you put a plaque to Grandma Ellie and it would be a beautiful fountain. No, sorry. If you want to build a fountain and dedicate it to the Lord Jesus, that's cool, but it's not going to be to man's glory. Now, I'm not saying that it's, ever, it's always wrong to do that. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is, it's the, mo- the motivation needs to be, God, we want your provision to be seen. We want people to see it's you that provides. We want people to see that they can trust you. Not they can trust us, but they can trust you. But he also says, look at verse 13 and 14. It says, well, through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and for all men. In other words, they're glorifying God because they see, man, you know what? You guys obey the Jesus you believe in. You don't just profess the gospel, you obey the Jesus you believe in. You want to follow him. And they're glorifying God in that. And they're saying it's shown in how you are so generous, liberal, and you're sharing with, with all men. But also, listen, by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. In other words, the Jerusalem church is going, man, that's so cool that God's done this work in the Corinthian church. We're just going to keep praying for them. They're so good to us. We're going to pray that God blesses them, God uses them, God straightens out their theology because they were a bit wacky in some things, and just really that God would just do great things in their lives. We're going to pray for them. We're so blessed by that. In other words, giving's done for the glory of God, not just so his provision is seen, but so his grace is seen. See, God's not wanting to have us show, look at how good we are. God's wanting us to give in such a way so people go, look how good God is. Look how gracious he is. And then Paul ends this chapter with this exclamation of worship. Thanks be to God for his indescribable 
gift. Now, the Bible says, right, in Matthew 5.16, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So when Paul says, thanks be to God for his, his indescribable gift, what is Paul talking about? Is he talking about, thanks be to God for this great collection we got from the Corinthians? Because we give God glory for this indescribable gift. Is that gift indescribable? No, it's quantifiable. You could say, this gift of X amount of whatever the currency was in that day, you know, has gone to these people and it's fed those people. It's very describable. So what is the indescribable gift that Paul gives thanks for? Well, the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave, what? His only begotten son. This generosity that we're talking about, this generous, the generous giver is God himself. The Bible says in the book of James, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights with whom there's no shadow of turning. He doesn't change. God's the generous giver. Every good thing in your life, even if you don't believe in Jesus today, every good thing in your life comes from God. Even if you don't believe, that's the fact. You might not thank him for it. You might not appreciate him for it. You might even believe he's there. But the fact remains, he's the one who gave it to you. Every good thing. But his greatest gift was sending the son Jesus so that we could have forgiveness of sin, so that we could have eternal life, so that we could know our creator as our Abba Father we could have that kind of relationship with him. You see, God is so generous. He doesn't just say, hey, guess what? I'm going to give you a ticket to my great concert. So for eternity, I'm going to be rocking on the stage and you're going to go, woo, God's awesome. Sometimes people describe heaven as if it's going to be that, but actually it's not going to be this just God's awesome, though we're all going to say God's awesome, but we're going to recognize the awesomeness of God and he himself, the Bible says he himself, is going to wipe away every tear. You know who does that? A father to his child. Because our God is so generous. He doesn't just say, you can come and hang out at my house for my party. He says, I want to adopt you into my family. And I want to adopt you into my family, and I'm going to fill you with my spirit, and I'm going to teach you to take on the family characteristics, specifically, in this case, generosity. This is what God calls us to. It was funny because last week, in, uh, when we were in chapter 8, talking about giving and we forgot to bring the box, <laughs> which was pretty funny. <laughs> but hopefully that proves that this is not just about us trying to get your money. God doesn't need your money. God's calling you to give him your whole life. And when you give it to him, you're not giving him something that belongs to you anyway because the scripture says you've been bought at a price. You're just giving back to him what already belongs to him. If you don't understand how generous God has been to you, if, if that doesn't resonate to you, 
then that's far more important than if you ever spend time working in Sunday school or ushering or doing mission work or giving money. None of that stuff means anything unless you understand how generous God's been to you. See, that's what we want for you guys. Before you leave today, our prayer is that God would bring that revelation to your mind. You'd understand how much God has given to you in Christ. You'd understand that you can't outgive him because he's already given you so much. Yeah, God gives and he takes away. Yeah, some of us are, are, are experiencing great loss even just this week. but it doesn't change the character of our God that is seen primarily in what he's done in sending Jesus. That he's still good and generous. And that's what motivates us to be the same.